Well, Happy New Year. Well, it's coming up this week, and it is a joy to be here with you on New Year as we do a few things. We're starting a new sermon series today, and it's on what we consider the core DNA of our church. If you are here with us every Sunday, you hear these words as we open our service. That I see exist to make disciples of all nations for the glory of God. That is our mission as a church. And over the course of the next five or six weeks, we're going to be looking at that command that Jesus gave the church to be a disciple-making church, to make disciples. And as we do that, we're going to look at the biblical mandate for that. And then we're going to look at how as a church... How, how as a congregation do we seek to live that out here? And our hope is that everyone will get to experience the great joy and the marvelous beauty of engaging in Jesus' strategy to make disciples. Now, you'll hear me give a few different definitions of discipleship throughout this series, but I like to keep things simple and clear. So right from the start, I want to give you a definition that will be most prominent. That discipleship is truth and life transferred in the context of a real relationship. I'll break that down more in weeks to come. But what we mean is discipleship happens when the truth of God's Word, who God has called us to be, how God has called us to live, is transferred from one person to another in the context of not just teaching, but in the context of seeing somebody live it out with flesh and blood. Being able to look at another person and say, there's a Christian, and I see how they live. They're not perfect, but they love the Lord. So life and truth transferred in the context of a real, authentic relationship. Discipleship necessitates relationship. So we'll be looking at that a lot over the next few weeks, we started our service with a call to worship. And in it, we looked at Jesus' command to let the little children come to him. And there's something beautiful, glorious about children. I love that we have children in this church. I love that I can look out right now and I, I see children of various ages. We celebrate that. And many of us, the starting point, the true starting point of discipleship is this. It's what we and what the Bible refers to as being born again. Being a, a new creation. Uh, we'll call it conversion. And what that means is that you recognize your sinfulness and that you are without hope but for the grace of God extended through Jesus Christ, who is a substitute for us, who lived the sinless life we could not live. And when we trust that message, the Bible says we're a new creation, we're born again. That's the starting point of discipleship. It starts with conversion. Some would say it starts with evangelism. That as we seek to make disciples, part of discipleship includes evangelism. We're not separating the two here. We're saying the fullness of discipleship involves evangelism. Now many of you here, you were first exposed to the people of God, to the church, and to the gospel 
at a young age. And I praise God for that. There's others here who you didn't hear the gospel until you were past that stage of life. Maybe you were in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, and, and that's when you first heard the gospel and God got a hold of your heart and He rescued you. But for most, the statistics say that most first hear the gospel and trust the Lord at a younger age. Typically before 18, though certainly it varies. For me, I, I grew up in a small town in the United States. And my grandfather, he worked in the coal mines. Now, I don't know if any of you are familiar with coal mines. I don't know if they have coal mines in Ethiopia. I don't think so. But a coal mine, you go and you dig underground, and you dig for these black rocks that are then burned as fuel. That was my grandfather's job. He was a mechanic in the coal mines, and I did not grow up going to church. And my grandfather was so bothered by the fact that none of his grandchildren went to church that he decided to do something about it. So he told us, he said, if you'll go to church with me, I'll take you to breakfast before we go, and I'll pay you to go to church. Now, I don't think you'll find that strategy in any evangelism books or anywhere in Scripture that you pay someone to come to church. So I'm not advocating for that. But what I'm saying is, that's my experience. I first walked through the church doors because my grandfather brought me, and he knew, especially in the culture where we lived, parents can command their children, you're going to church. Grandparents don't really have that luxury so he had to make it where we wanted to come. And at 11 years old, I first came to church. And that was where I first was first exposed to the people of God. I had faithful, Bible-loving, Jesus-loving Sunday school teachers who first shared the gospel with me. And I remember as a young man of 12 or 13, hearing the gospel at a vacation Bible school, and placing my faith in Jesus. Now, my Christian walk hasn't been perfect. I've had ups and downs. But I praise God that the Lord allowed me to be exposed to the gospel at an early age. And that's many of your stories, and, and many of your stories are different. And we praise God for the variety of story. But we do look in Scripture and we see that there's something special about those early years of life. Those early years of life, and there's, it, it's a gift for children to be exposed to the people of God, to hear the Word of God, to, to hear the gospel from a young age, and that's a huge gift. And today, we're going to look and read one of the great passages of the Old Testament. If you were to ask a Hebrew, a Jewish person, you said, what does it mean to be a Hebrew? They would quote the verse that we're going to read today. Today we'll be starting in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But please stand for the reading of the, God's Word. The words will be on the screen. You can follow along there as well. Hear the Word of our Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be upon your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, unless you speak today, we know nothing of significance will be spoken. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, the passage I just read is commonly referred to as the great Shema. That's the first word of this, is Shema. Shema means to hear. And, and it, it doesn't just mean to hear alone. It means to hear and obey, to hear and do, to pay attention to and make it a part of your life. So if you were to talk to a Hebrew, they would say, what it means to be Jewish is to hear from the Lord that He is one and to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was the heartbeat. But it doesn't stop there. It tells them to teach this to their children. Now in Scripture, in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, we see one of the most faithful generations in all the Bible. Joshua's generation, by and large, they weren't perfect, but you see that they loved the Lord. But the generation after them, the generation of the judges, they struggled. They lived in rebellion from the Lord. And God would send judges to come and bring judgment upon their rebellion and bring them back to the Lord. And the final judge is a man named Samuel. And it's interesting because Samuel, that name, actually is Shema El. The great Shema, to, to hear, to, to call. And that word El means God. It means heard, hear God. Heard of God is what the name Samuel means. And, and that's the idea here. Samuel was the, the final judge and the first of the prophets and a priest of Israel. Yet he lived in a day and time that was difficult. That day and time is summed up in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, where it reads, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Here's what was going on in Israel. They were looking out and they were saying, because we have no earthly physical king, everybody was doing what they wanted. Now, was that true? The nation was supposed to have a king. And that was God Almighty. They were a peculiar nation. 
They were a nation that when they went to battle, they were not led by a physical earthly king. They were led by a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And the nation reached a point where they said, our problem, here's our problem. It's that we don't have an earthly king. We need an earthly king. And they didn't realize that one day God would send that earthly king in himself because God was to be their king. That Jesus Christ would come as the fulfillment. Yet in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 6, I mean chapter 8, verse 6, we see the people come to Samuel and here's what they ask. They asked for a king, and it says in verse 6, But this displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The people, they asked for a king. Give us a king to rule over us. And in verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people, and all that they say to you, for they have rejected you, but they have, they have not rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. Samuel, they're not rejecting you, God says, they're rejecting me. If the people were to select a king, it would have been Samuel. Samuel had led the nation faithfully for years. And Samuel is one of the great characters, heroes, men of the Bible. Yet, they hadn't rejected Samuel. They had rejected God Almighty. Samuel here, he, he recognizes they haven't rejected, or God tells them they haven't rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me. They're rejecting God as their king. And then here's what God does. God takes Samuel and he says, tell them what a king will make them do. A king is going to make them Run after chariots. A king is going to make them do his work. A king is going to make them be his men servants, his maid servants, his slaves. He's going to take taxes. He's going to take your crops. He's going to do all those things. And in verse 19, the people say, But the, ki- the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us. Verse 20. That we, that we may be like all the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Hear what the nation's asking for. The nation is saying this. We want to be like everybody else. We don't want to be a peculiar people. We don't want to be different. Every other nation, they go to battle, they've got a physical king. We don't have a physical king. Give us a physical king. We have a box that represents God's presence. Have any of you ever said that? I don't want to be different. Kids, do you ever feel that? I, I, don't, I don't want to go to school and be different. I want to blend in and be like everybody else. I don't want to be a a peculiar Christian. I don't want to go to my place of work and stand out and be peculiar. I think all of us, if we're honest, have felt that in some way, shape, or form in our lives that we look and we say, I want to be like everybody else. I just want to blend in with culture. But here's the thing. Scripture, the Bible, 
is always out of step with the culture of this world. The world does not follow the Word of God, and these two are out of step with one another. So when we look at God's Word and we're seeking to live by it, we're going to be out of step with culture. But I think we all understand the desire to be like all the other nations. Now, Samuel will appoint a king. That king's name is Saul. And in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 15, it says that he was appointed at Gilgal. And Hosea says this about Israel. Hosea says all the problems of Israel started at Gilgal. When the nation rejected God as king and took a physical king named Saul, that's when their problems really began. You see, Saul fit the part. Saul was tall. He was good looking. He looked like a king. He looked like the type of guy you go, who's the leader? That guy. He fit the picture. But here's Saul's problem. He does not pray. He does not read the word. He does not bring the people to God. No, what Saul does is he lives in his own insecurities and fears and rebellion from God. And at the end of his life, he can no longer hear from God. And he has to consult a witch because he's so confused. Now, their problems all started there. But going back a few verses in Samuel, he says this in verse 4. It says, the elders of Israel gathered together, this is chapter 8, and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint us a king to judge us like all the nations. Here's what they come. If they were going to have a king, the nation should have said, Samuel, will you be our king? You've led us as a judge, now be king. Instead, they look and they say, you're too old. We don't want you. And when we look at your boys, Samuel, they don't regard God. Your boys don't care about God. We're not going to appoint them. Go get somebody else so we can be like everybody else. Back in verse 3, it tells us again, Yet his sons, this is Samuel's sons, did not walk in the ways of the Lord, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Samuel is one of the great men of Scripture. I love reading his story. I love looking at his life. In fact, uh, it's always been a special uh, story to me because my family, my, my legal first name is Samuel, and we trace the name Samuel Winstead back 350 years. So it's, it's been a family name for a long time. And I love Samuel's story, but there's one thing in his story that is quite tragic. His boys do not follow the Lord. And that's sad. And that's tragic. And for the Christian parent, there's perhaps no greater pain and no greater sorrow than to see a child that you've prayed for, loved, and encouraged walk away from the Lord. I had the joy and privilege of serving as a youth pastor when I first started in vocational ministry. I love being a youth pastor. It was a great joy. But I can tell you a few things I learned. I saw parents who were very intentional with their children. 
They loved their children. They prayed for their children. They taught the Bible to their children. They prayed with their children. They did everything they could to create an environment where that child would hear the gospel and receive the gospel. And I would see those parents at times have children who rejected the gospel. And I saw parents who had no regard for God. Their children only came to youth group because their friends were coming. And those children would come and they would hear the gospel and God, would, their heavenly father, would fill in where their earthly father could not and they would trust the, the good news of the gospel. Those were primarily the exceptions. I saw those. Those things happened. Some of you here today, as I tell that, that's your story. Some of you have done everything you can humanly do to help your kids know the Lord. And they've still walked away. Let me tell you, ultimately, we can't control our children. They reach a point where they grow up and they're adults and they make their own decisions. And it's but the grace of God that anyone is redeemed and saved. But by and large, I would see that parents who prayed with their children, prayed for their children, were a godly example before their children, I saw more often than not that those children would trust the glorious news, good news of Jesus Christ. And I saw more often not than those parents who ignored their children, who didn't pay attention to their children, who didn't seek the spiritual good of their children in the gospel, those children would often not walk with the Lord. And we see here in Deuteronomy what's called the Great Shema, and God gives His people a strategy for raising the next generation. He tells them a few things. He says, you are to impress this truth upon your children, that the Lord our God is one and you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's what we impress on our children. Love God. Children, you'll find no joy in this life, no lasting happiness, no true fulfillment apart from Jesus Christ. Love the Lord. That's the only place you're going to find it. You can go search other places, but they'll come up empty. And we're told to impress it upon our children, what the NIV says. We're to actively, as parents, as a church, as we have these children and parents here, we're to actively seek to impress the gospel upon our kids. It says, do this. When you sit at home, if you, the primary place of discipleship is the home. It's where it starts. And you look, and my children are at home with me a lot. That's where it starts. What do we point to? When they're having a bad day, when they're struggling, when they have joy, when they need guidance. Do we take the approach from a Christian worldview and look at Point them to Christ. It says when you walk along the road. Well, we, we walk quite a bit here in Ethiopia, but you also drive. They didn't have driving necessarily then like we do today, but you travel with your kids. You're in the car with your kids. You go places with your children. You walk with your children. As you do, as you see things, as you engage in life, your children are watching you and seeing you. And it says, do this when you lie down. And when you get up, I think those are two great posts for families to have. Wake up, 
go to bed. What are you doing during those times? I'll tell you, anytime I preach on this, I'm deeply convicted because I'm often inconsistent. I can easily get distracted. School starts and we get off our regular rhythms. But I love at night to be able to gather my family together and pray. To make that just a habit. What do we do at night? We pray as a family. Some families may have different habits. They may read the word at night. They may sing. I don't know. I love before our kids go to school to sometimes read a quick scripture or something. I don't always do it. There's probably more days where we're rushing out the door and don't take time to do it as well as we should. But we look to intentionally invest the seed of the gospel in the, into the lives of our children. That's, that's what we do as parents. When we sit at home, when we walk along the road, when we lie down, when we get up, it says to put it, to put it as straps on your hands. Um, Jewish people today will take leather straps and strap the Word of God to their hands. I don't think that's what this verse was really talking about. It's saying as you do work with your hands, it's the work of the Lord. Whatever work you do, you honor and you glorify the Lord in the work that you do. It also says put it on frontlets of your head. It's not talking about literally putting it on your head as some have done. No, it means you view the world through this. How do I look at the world? I look at it through the Word of God and through the Gospel. Through the truth of Jesus Christ. That's the lens that we take. And I'll tell you this, raising children is a challenge. Every week I make lots of decisions as a parent. Some small, some big. And they're often hard. They're often difficult. And I need the Lord. It reminds me that I don't have this thing figured out. I, I, God, I need your grace. I need your mercy as, as, as we seek to raise children to know and love you. I'll tell you what else I need. I need the church. I need the church to come alongside and help raise children. We need one another as we raise these children in the Lord. Parents, I believe children need to see as much as they need you to pray with them, as much as they need you to read the Word to them, to teach them the truth of God's Word, they need to see you live it out. Children need to see the fruit of the Spirit in their parents' life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. And children need to see parents, and I know for some cultures this may be more of a challenge, they need to see us live a lifestyle of repentance. There's been times I've said to one of my sons after I've had to discipline him and my anger got the best of me, and I spoke harshly, and I didn't speak patiently, and I spoke ungraciously, that I've had to come to them and say, I'm sorry. I didn't honor you in how I spoke to you. I didn't honor God in how I spoke to you, and I am sorry, and I repent of that. Now, it doesn't mean that their actions weren't still incorrect. There's been times I've had to tell my boys, hey, what I just said to your mom wasn't very kind. And I have to tell her, I'm sorry, I repent. Our children need to see us live a lifestyle of repentance. You see, the starting place is, is discipleship is in the home because that's where we get children the most. 
But again, there's no guarantee. I look at raising children and discipleship as going, it's a paradox. It's all up to me and it's all up to God. It's all up to the parents. Parents, you do everything you can to raise your children in the Lord. But it's not going to happen. They're not going to love the Lord if the Lord doesn't do it. It's one of those paradoxes that we see in Scripture where we give it our all, we do all we can to raise them in the Lord, and the Lord's got to do that. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That verse doesn't mean just train them only in the truths of Scripture and the truths of God. It goes beyond that. Each of your children are made unique. And you want to take your child and say, how God has made you, here's how you, I want to help you live out the gospel and how he's created you. Some of you may have children that will be a teacher. Maybe they'll be a musician. Maybe they'll be a businessman. Maybe they'll do any number of other things. God is the one who's created them. And you want to say, to train you in the Lord is to raise you up in the Lord how He's created you to live. He's made you. But again, I desperately need help in this. Parents need help. We need the church. So I want to talk a little bit as we near the end here today about how as a church we are seeking to do this. What I'm going to talk about we cannot do if the church doesn't respond. If, if the body of Christ doesn't get involved, we can't do this. We, it takes the church. It takes the body. It takes us engaging, saying, we want to raise the next generation of the Lord. We're going to fight for this. We're going to be involved in this. Whether you've already raised your children, you've got a lot to give. We need your wisdom, both from your triumphs and your mistakes. Or whether you've yet to raise children and you want to one day, hey, this is good training ground. You get to invest in children. It'll prepare you. Or whether you're in the midst of it, we need you to help us. Three things I'm going to be asking this month. I'm going to be clear on them. Of everybody that calls IEC home. One, I want you in worship. This is our service. This is where we gather as a family to worship God. We need everybody here. Secondly, I want everybody in some sort of group, class, something where you people know you and you're being known and you're able to share life and you're able to see some elements of discipleship. I'll talk more about that in future weeks. And third, we need everybody to serve somewhere here. We're asking if everybody who calls IEC home would serve somewhere in this church at least once a month. We believe all our needs will be met. You may serve as a teacher assistant, helping with kids. You may serve as crowd control, keeping children from running loose. You may serve helping the offering, helping ushering. There's a number of things. We, we create that volunteer form. We'll have it all month for you to fill out and let us know some areas you feel God may be leading you to serve. But we ask that everybody gets involved in this way. Now, I do realize... There are some who come here and you're in a season of life where you have nothing else to give. Don't, don't feel shame about that. Some people come in pretty beat up. Maybe you've poured yourself out all week 
and you feel like, I can't go give, I just need to receive. If that's where you are, please take that season, catch your breath, allow the Lord to minister to you. We understand. But we pray that for, for, for the majority that you will get involved and serve. I want to go over what we're doing with children's ministry starting September 26th so that you can get a picture and see how we're looking to help as a church raise the next generation. At our 9 o'clock service and our 11.30 service, we're going to have children in worship until the sermon. We'll dismiss them at the sermon time. Why do we do that? So that children look and go, Mom and Dad are singing. Oh, you sit now. You stand now. Look, there's people of various ages. It's not just about people my age. Oh, you give in the offering now. Mom and Dad teach the kid. Put, you, you sacrifice. You give. We learn to do those things by being in service. Now we realize that that's going to require something of everyone. Children can be distracting. You saw earlier, I can be distracted by children at times. I'm willing to walk through it because I want children here. Okay? So realize some of you may be distracted at times by children, but realize we praise God they're in here. Now at the same time, parents, we can't just throw up our hands and go, my kid's being a distraction. We need you to engage and keep your child from being a distraction. We realize they may talk, they may wiggle, they may move, they may yell out something, but we need your help in de dealing with those things, okay? So sometimes you may need to walk out of the worship service with your, with your children. Sometimes we may hear children running around outside and we may need some of our elders to get up and say, hey, you're being a little too distracting. We need to learn how to, to deal with those things. So as a church, it requires all of us doing this, working together to raise that next generation. Because we're only one generation away from this place being unreached. That's why we always invest in the next generation. So we'll be doing that both at the 9 and 11.30 services. Midway through, we'll dismiss children. At the 9 o'clock, we will have an Amaric Children's Sunday School. That'll go up to age 12. We really believe children should be able to sit through a full service somewhere between ages 6 and 10. By that age, you should learn to be in here. We realize, parents, it's harder for you. It can be distracting. We leave it to you to figure out when that appropriate age is for your family and your child's maturity and where they are. Some of you have child children that just sit easily. Some of you have children that like to wiggle a lot. Hey, we're raising them all in the Lord. He'll use them all. That's beautiful. So we would encourage you, you know, once your children are old enough, we want them worshiping with you the whole service. At 9 a.m., we'll have a Mark Children's Sunday School. Right now, we are not offering an English Sunday School at 9. We will if the need is high enough and we have enough volunteers. But so far, the need hasn't been high enough. So know if you're hearing that and going, I would love for y'all to have an English-speaking class at 9. We're open to it. We just need the manpower. At 11, we will have children's classes up to age 10 at the 11.30 hour. So your children will be dismissed. Age 10, they have somewhere to go. We believe by 11 years old, it's very reasonable for them to sit through an entire service. We actually think that's healthy for them. We think that's good for children. We don't think it's healthy when someone goes, hey, I've never sat through a service. I'm 18 years old and I'm leaving that, you know, going somewhere else or doing something different and they've never been in there. We want them in here.
So that's what the two worship services will look like. Between services, we're adding something for all adults, and we're adding something for children. Right here in our worship center, we're going to have a children's church for ages 4 to 10. That's a big age range. We know that. That's where we're starting. We've got to get volunteers. We've got to see how many children are going to come. And if it grows, we hope to split it and have two. But right now, we're just starting with one. We need volunteers. We need help. Right now, I think we've got two volunteers. So we need more people to help us do that. That starts September 26th. We will also, between services, have a pre-teen class for 11 and 12-year-olds. That'll meet in one of the rooms over here. And then we'll have our youth ministry for middle school youth and then for high school youth. So those are the ways that on Sunday mornings that we're looking and saying, how can we come alongside families and help you? So we hope that you'll engage in these things. We hope these will be a blessing to you. We hope you'll be involved. We hope you'll serve. We hope you'll celebrate when you look and you see a child in worship and say, that's a beautiful thing. Praise God. We're passing it on to the next generation. Let's celebrate it. Know this, a lot of what we do is limited by space. We're looking to get our CE building repaired, hopefully in the next year. We're looking to get a youth center opened, hopefully get it started, built soon. So we're doing things to address our spacious issues, but that causes us, especially during COVID, to have to be creative in what we're doing. But know that we need you. Over the next few weeks, I'll be going over a lot more. But church, I pray that we be faithful to do like Israel, where God intended Israel to do, to hear the Lord our God is one, and to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to impress that upon the children of IEC. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It is true, and it is good, and it is gracious. Help us to be faithful to your word. You work in our hearts and lives as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion at this time. I'm going to call our elders and leaders to come to some of the tables. If you don't feel comfortable taking communion during COVID, please do not. We're okay with that. Uh, communion is for those who've trusted in Christ. It's a reminder of Jesus' body and blood for us. And what we'll do is the choir will be up here. We'll be singing a song. So I think they can come on forward as well. Uh, I'm going to pray over the communion. And then you come and get it, and we will take it together. So I'll come back up, and we'll all take it together. So you'll just come forward and get it. Uh, but let me pray over the elements. God, we are thankful that you give us a reminder to remember you, the body and blood of Jesus broken and spilled for us, for each person here, and that the gospel is effective for all who will believe. So Lord, if there's any here who don't believe, I pray that you would do the work of redeeming and saving souls. And Lord, for those of us who do believe, may we reflect on our own walk in areas where we need to repent and turn back to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.